Now, not that the other books of the Bible aren't, but this is a good book of the Bible because it's a spiritual church. It's a spiritual church. It says, I'm on. Am I on, Chuck? How about now? Okay. First Thessalonians chapter 2. And we left off on verse number 7. So let's just go ahead and pick up with verse 7 and see where we can go tonight. All right. Let's pray. Father, we sure love you. Thank you, Lord, for letting us be back in your house, Lord, for some more Bible teaching, some more discipleship. Lord, I pray now you bless those that came tonight, Lord, that uh, want some more from your word. I pray that you'd fill them up to, to overflowing. Father, we pray that you'd uh, give us the understanding of your word. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things of thy law. And it sure is a wonderful book, and we're thankful for it. Help us, Lord, never to take it for granted, in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse number 7, Paul says, he says, But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. That's an interesting way that he puts it to the Thessalonians. He says, we were gentle as a nurse, as a nurse. And uh, if you look uh, back up to verse 11, he gives you another comparison. He says that he, we were like a father, like a father. So there's a twofold part that takes place here in the ministry. You have the, the job the preacher does of being a nurse and then a father. So first of all, you got a preacher, a pastor. He's going to have to be like a nurse, and that's, you have to be gentle with new Christians. Uh, you have to be patient, Right? You say, why? Well, new Christians get easily upset. They get easily offended. Uh, new Christians will quit on you at the drop of a hat. And new Christians are prone to go back to the world real quick. So you have to be patient. You have to be uh, easy on them. Uh, I would say this, probably 85 to 90% of new Christians will end up back in the world, and very few of them will ever uh, end up in any form of service. You say, why? Well, that's just the nature of people. That is. And uh, if you think about it, a lot of the Christians getting saved today in these so-called crusades and revivals, like the so-called revival in Burlington, uh, or the so-called self-proclaimed revival that's said to be going on in Kingsport, Tennessee, uh, if they get saved, mark it down, they'll go right back into the world. And many, that's where they head. And can I say this? Uh, most pulpits today, they're filled with nurses. Not like registered nurses. But most pulpits today are filled with nurses in most congregations. Controversially, they're, uh, they're filled with babies. So that's, that's the one aspect of the ministry. But Paul also says in verse 11 that a preacher is supposed to be number two, a father. And a father is someone who, if he has to, he, uh, he can discipline, Right? Um, or And if you don't, if you don't discipline from the pulpit sometimes, you'll have nothing but a congregation full of babies. And a father has to step in there and lay down the law every now and then and admonish them. But the nurse part has to be the one to guide and direct and take care of them. And the nurse has to watch over them and pick them up and wipe their noses and dust them off and those kind of things. And there are two parts of that message you see there and two parts of the ministry of Paul. And not only does it concern the reproof and the rebuke, but it concerns the exhortation and giving of the truth in love and understanding that you have to minister the milk as well as the meat. 
And uh, it can't just, uh, what happens if you get a congregation that all they have is meat, they get lean and they get mean. There ain't nothing I like better than a good steak, but you can't live on steak, you'll eventually waste away. Uh, I hate to say it, but you got to get a little bit of greens in there. And I don't like greens, unless it's asparagus or beans. I know you do. You can have mine, brother. You can have all the salad that I won't eat. But you got to get some taters in there. You got to get some bread and butter, right? And you got to round out the plate, as we said at the company I worked for. And you can't just be all meat and hard stuff, and all that stuff makes you mean. But, uh, and uh, if you look over in 1 John, you, don't, you can do it later on your own time. There's different stages of spiritual growth for the believer. We've covered them several times. So you should keep in mind that when it comes to the ministry, a uh, preacher's got both parts. He's got to be a nurse, and he's got to be a father. And uh, you have to nurse them, and uh, that's the one that babies them. And you have to have the father, and that's the one that's willing to admonish them. And again, most churches today, they're full of nurses and nurseries. Think about it. If the focal point of the church is nothing but reproduction, what are you going to have a church full of? You see where I'm going with this? <laughs> you say, well, that's weird. No, that, you're exactly right. You have to learn to grow as a Christian. Uh, not going to uh, you know, go into any great detail, but when a man and a woman, they meet each other and fall in love, it's not all about just having babies all the time. It's learning to grow in fellowship with one another. And every moment isn't an intimate moment. But you got some churches and they're like, oh, you got to get people saved. Oh, you got to win the loss. I'm all about winning the loss. But let me tell you what, every interaction with the Lord is not intimate fellowship. You see what I mean? And if you get cockeyed with your focus and you get it all about, you know, winning the loss at any cost, well, then uh, you'll have a church full of babies. And you know when you have a church full of babies, you know what you have? You got a church full of babies, and you got you know messy britches all the time. And you got this one crying and fussing at that one. You ever hang around little kids? You ever raise little kids? They're not always sweet and kind that you dress them up to be. They're pulling each other hair. They're kicking each other in the shin. Amen. Now, some of y'all looking at me like you're ready to throw up, but that's just the way it goes, man. And it's a blessing when people get saved. I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't tell you this, but we had someone get saved this morning. I didn't even preach a salvation message. You see how the Lord works that thing out? Every salvation message I ever preach, hardly any of you ever get saved. You get up there and preach about something to the child of God, how you need to remember things, and someone gets born again. So you pray for a gal, her name's Juliana. Amen. She got saved. She's 21 or something like that. Pray that the... We can get her and, uh, encouraged and uh, get her uh, brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But you got to remember, most independent Bible-believing churches, the other side of that coin, are full of fathers. Not like, you know, Father Bob. I'm just talking about they're preachers, <laughs> right? That's the other side. you got a lot of fundamental churches, and there are a bunch of nurses behind the pulpit with a bunch of babies. And then you got Bible-believing churches, and they're just always admonishing and always chewing out and always just hammering the thing out and always disciplining and always rebuking. you got to have the both of them, Paul says. Paul says he was gentle as a nurse, cherisheth her children. And then he says in verse 11, he was also as a father who comforteth, uh, chargeth, and exhorteth his children. And you got to have both. And Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1 tells you all about balance. Proverbs 11, 1 says, a false balance is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. You've got to have the nurse. You've got to have the one that takes care of the babies. And you've got to have the father, the one that's willing to 
exhort, comfort, and charge, and rebuke in the admonition of the Lord Jesus Christ there. So any man that's going to minister, anyone that's going to minister, you've got to get the right balance on that thing. And uh, if you're a sheep instead of a shepherd, you have to understand that it takes a preacher, a pastor being a nurse and a father to minister to God's sheep and God's way with God's message. Grab verse 8. Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, he says, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also uh, unto our own souls, because you were dear to us. A great verse here, Paul. What he's saying here is the difference between professional preaching and biblical ministering is the way that you give of yourself during the ministering. That's the difference. Uh, you can teach anyone. You can teach a monkey to have a canned sermon. Amen. You can teach anyone to have a, a canned outline. And they can get up there and they can speak good words and they can speak fair speeches and they can learn their rhetoric and they can learn the lingo and what to say and where to pause. I know what to say. I know where to pause to get you to say amen. But sometimes it's just ministering the word and it's a given of yourself when you preach. And that's the difference between biblical preaching and professional preaching. It's that you give of yourself during the preaching. Uh, and the Pauline way of preaching is that you have to give something of yourself. You give something of you. That is, when you minister and when you preach, something goes out from you uh, when you deliver the message. Doesn't the Bible say, the, he says, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. So it's not just a canned sermon, but it's, it's your beliefs, it's your convictions, uh, it, the preacher E.M. Bounds, he said it takes 20 years to make a sermon. And then it takes another 20 years to make the man or make the preacher. So it goes like this. It takes 20 years to make the message, and it takes another 20 years to make the man. Uh, but that thing's backwards, actually. And that's the Christian life. It's not to live your life for yourself. If you're going to minister to the people, you're going to have to give of yourself to somebody else. And that's what the ministry is supposed to be like. Uh, go over there. We were there this morning in church, uh, morning service. We go to Romans uh, Rome chapter 12. And uh, giving of yourself in service. Giving of yourself in service. Do you remember the, the early years when you raised kids? Some of you all. Remember how, uh, you know, when you were raising twos and three years old, you weren't teaching them how to drive, right? And you weren't telling them what chores they had to get done, Right? And you weren't telling them when they were two and three to be home at midnight? <laughs> you say, what is that? That's ridiculous, isn't it? You know what that is? That's a little bit later in life, isn't it? That's also the ministry. When a church just begins and starts out, guess what happens? You don't expect everyone to go out there and work 40 hours a week. What do you do? Well, you teach them to love the Lord. You teach them to love each other. You teach them to get along with each You see what I mean? What is that? That's the inchoate stages of ministering. And that's ministering in service eventually over time. That's where the father part comes in. You start off as the nurse and you learn. You learn the people of God and you bring them along slowly in the nurture and admonition of Christ. And as they get older, then you add a little bit more. Here a little and there a little. Line upon line. There a little and there a little. You see what I mean? Why? It's just like raising babies. You don't start uh, with the driver's license when they, when they come out of the womb. You know what I mean? You got you to gotta teach them some things. Now, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, this giving of yourself in service. Here it is. That's what the ministry is supposed to be. 
He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, not the brethren, which is your reasonable service. And Paul, what Paul says, he says, I just didn't come to you with words. He says, I came to you giving you my own soul. And when Paul preached and when Paul ministered, he gave of himself. He imparted something to them. He gave them the message, and he also gave them the man. He gave his own self. And Paul, he spoke from his heart. And not he just didn't speak from his heart because he had some emotional feeling, but he backed it up with his actions, and that's the key part. He spoke from his heart, but he backed it up with his actions. And that should be the preacher coming through the preaching. That's why whatever I am, here's the scary part, whatever I am is coming through this pulpit and going right to the pew. That's why if I get hung up on politics, that's why if I get hung up on some soapbox or some, a group of wickedness going on here, whatever I get hung up on, guess where it's going? Right to you. And if you go out of this church bitter because of the preaching, it's because I've been bitter about it. That's the thing. And if you're going to minister, you're going to minister God's way, you're going to give of yourself. And that's why the old preacher said, whatever comes out of the pulpit hits the pew. And the pew will never rise higher than the pulpit. And Paul's telling you about his ministering. He spoke from his heart. He backed it up with his actions. And that should be that preacher coming through the preaching. All right, now 1 Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.5. Go back to chapter 1. Notice again he talks about power. Chapter 1, verse 5. For our gospel came not unto you in the word only, but also in power. And in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. So again, I'm just reiterating the fact that Paul had power because Paul was willing to live his life for their benefit and give himself. And that's, that is truly the difference between biblical ministering and professional preaching. Professional preaching relies on great oration. Professional preaching relies upon a great outline. It relies heavily upon a great illustration. Now, look, all those things are good, okay? You better hope that when I preach, I have an outline, or you, it's going to go all over the place. And unless you've been doing it for a very long time, you're not going to have the ability to stay on track. Uh, that's why when pre- some preachers, they don't r- write an outline, they'll start running rabbits, and they'll never get back on the trail, if you listen to preaching very long, all of a sudden you'll say, you'll think, you know, that preacher, he's running rabbits, and he never does come back. Why? Because he doesn't have an outline. Now, everything I said there, it's good to have a good outline. It's good to study. Amen? You deserve your preacher to study. You deserve your preacher to study night and day. But it's not just about an outline. It's not just about an illustration. It's giving yourself in the ministering, and that affects you too. And that power came because Paul was willing to live his life for their benefit. And that's what Paul wants you to see back to 2 Thessalonians chapter, or 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, go back to verse 9. Verse 9. <clears throat> Paul says this, he says, For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, We preached unto you the gospel of God. And of course, Paul says later on in Thessalonians, I think it's 2 Thessalonians 3, that if a man doesn't work, shouldn't eat. I heard that verse as a kid, man. You don't work, you shouldn't eat. Well, if that's the case, some some God's children, man, they'd they'd die of starvation, man. (laughs) 
But uh, so Paul is, he's only concerned here in verse 9 with giving of himself. And he's always making sure that his preaching is, is matching, his, uh, his work is matching his preaching. And Paul says, it's not only what I say, but it's what I do. And if you want to have power in your witnessing, wherever you work and wherever you go, if you want to have power in your preaching and ministering, you're going to have to act out what you're preaching. Again, it keeps going back to this. Your walk needs to match your talk. And uh, that's what gives you the power. I, I couldn't say that enough. You want power in the Christian life? Well, go ahead and let your walk match your talk. You've heard that. You've said it yourself. Well, he doesn't walk what he talks. <laughs> uh, look at verse 10. He says, ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. And, you know, you don't have to defend yourself if you're in the ministry. If you're preaching the way Paul said to preach. You have to stick up for yourself. You don't have to be constantly defending yourself with what it, what it is that you're doing. You have to realize that the things that God tells you to do, God will defend you over it. And that's defended by the way that you live your life. It is uh, so that you're unblameable. Go ahead to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We'll grab that verse now. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 6. Uh, this is one I was talking about just a minute ago. He says there in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6, he says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. Verse 7, For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us. Why? For we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. In other words, Paul said, Look, I practiced what I preached. I did what I said I would do. Remember, I don't know if you remember back there in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, Old Testament verse, Old Testament principle. He says, uh, uh, Solomon says, Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than thou shouldest vow and not pay. I know that's something under law, but it's a great biblical principle. If you're going to say it, you ought to live it. You want the power of God? Well, then you better live what you preach. Uh, You think about Jephthah. Jephthah was a bit of a radical judge in the nation of Israel in the book of Judges. And he's all in this military expo, and God gives him great victory, and he comes home, and he says, he was so on high for the Lord. He says, I'll tell you what, the first thing I see through the door of my house, I'll offer it for a sacrifice. It was his stinking daughter. You say, well, he was a nut job. I totally agree. I'd have got out of that thing. I'd have whatever. I'd have stood on my head and pleaded with God. not let me. I wouldn't kill my daughter. Here. <laughs> but you say what you want about him. You kept his vow. I'm not saying it's the right thing to do, but if you're gonna if you're gonna preach it, man, you better live it if you want the power of God. And that is unlike most people today. And I'll say this: this is why we like power in the ministry and power in our own Christian life. You say, why? Well, we just don't practice what we preach. Sounds good, we like it, feels good, sounds good, but we don't back it up with how we live. And that's one thing Paul constantly says to himself. Look at verse 8, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. He says, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear to us. In other words, he gave of himself for the benefit of others. And that's true ministering. Amen. And that's, that's not the American way, or the United way, or whoever's way it is. The American way is I give, you, uh, I give you this, that, and the other, and then you give me a retirement. 
the, the American way is this. Before I do anything, you have to answer and satisfy this question. What's in it for me? That is American business. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt, taught others to do it the same way. But if you're going to minister and you want the power of God, well, you have to learn to give of yourself for the benefit of others. Uh, that means your flesh will probably be inconvenienced. That might mean your spirit will be a little bit overwhelmed at times. And he says in verse 8, because ye were dear unto us. And the reason Paul gave of himself to those people is because he loved the people. You ever just stop and think, do I love anybody besides myself? It's tough, ain't it? Some days I don't love anybody, but I sure do love me a whole lot. <laughs> you say, how terrible. I know you're the same way. First, you know, the weakest your flesh usually is when you wake up in the morning. Anything stands between you and that coffee pot's a dead man, you know, or whatever it is you, you know, sip on in the morning. <laughs> and he, uh, Paul gave himself because he loved those people more than he loved himself. You know, that's the aspect of maturity that I, I, I want to get a hold of that thing where I love people more than I love myself. Why? We said it twice already. Said it in Sunday school, said it in the morning service. In the last days, perilous times shall come, for men shall be... <laughs> you know you're stinking proud. You love yourself too much. Ain't no good. Amen. <laughs> uh, he says in verse 8, because you are dear to us. And if you want to live the Pauline way, remember 1 Timothy 1.16, Paul is our pattern. That's why I keep hammering this stuff. And you're not going to hear it on TBN. You're not going to hear it on TCT. And you're not going to hear it most of all. You're not going to hear mostly in fundamental churches. But you have to learn to give of yourself for the benefit of Jesus Christ and because Jesus Christ gave himself for others. So you then give of yourself for others. You, you've uh, heard the, 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 the musical, the cantata, Jesus Christ was born to die, right? He was born to die. And Jesus Christ, he was born wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in the manger. He was born to die. And because he was born to die, guess what? That's our lot life as Christians. We're not born so we can expand ourselves. We're not born so we can excel in ourselves. We are born to die and give of ourselves to others. And when you get saved, you're to die to yourself. That's what Romans 12.1 is all about. The moment you get saved and the Lord gives you that understanding, you are to present your body as a living sacrifice. You say, what does that even mean? All right, who owns you? The Lord owns you. So before you do anything with you, don't you suppose you ought to ask the fellow that owns you? I mean, would you go to your neighbor and just jump in his truck and start it up and fly down the road? You'd probably ask the owner if you could fire it up and take it for a spin, right? There's the concept. Ye are not your own. Ye are bought with a price. All right, Lord, uh, what should I wear today? And hopefully the Holy Spirit saying something decent, man, <laughs> right? And if you ever have a question about what you should wear, what you should put on, you say, isn't that kind of trivial? I don't know. The fact is, we do so many things without asking the Lord what He thinks about it. Maybe that's why we think it's trivial. But if He owns you, shouldn't you ask Him? I mean, the old preacher said this, the president should be the resident and the boarder should be the boss. So if He's the boss, what should I do with my life? Well, why don't you ask Him about it? Or what should I wear today? <laughs> ask Him about it. Don't ask your preacher, man. I ain't got a clue. 
Where should I go to school? Don't ask your preacher. Ask the Lord. Oh, what should I do with my life? Ask the one who owns you. Well, I have, and he hasn't said anything. I probably wouldn't do anything except what you know is right to do. I mean, you're in the will of God today by being here because God gave you the liberty to be here. You chose, and you're, you're doing what God wants you to do. And you can live your life like that every single day. The old fundamentalist uh, hiccup or the old fundamentalist uh, circus saying is, one day the Lord's going to use you. I'm like bat feathers. He's using me right now. Fully on this later stuff, he's using me right now. How? I'm being obedient. I'm here where God wants me to be. Amen? I'm listening to the preaching. That's what God wants me to do. And when the Holy Spirit speaks to my heart through the preaching, I'm going to obey it, and I'm going to follow the light that he gives me. Well, what about this, that, and the other? Well, I don't know about this, that, and the other, but I know this is what he wants me to do now. And tomorrow morning when I get up, I know I'm supposed to die daily. That means I'm supposed to put, on, put off the old man and put on the new. I know that Bible says I'm supposed to put on the whole armor of God, that I may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. What am I supposed to do with it? Well, put the armor on and go from there and see if the Lord doesn't talk to you. But if he doesn't see you putting on the armor of God, you already know you're supposed to do that, why would we expect him to give us anything else? Are we waiting for a rainbow in the sky, unicorns, skittles, lightning, gumdrops? He already told you what to do. Die daily, put the armor of God on, and then wait for his dear son from heaven. Amen. Amen. When you get saved, you're to die to yourself, and that's what Romans 12 one's all about. And uh, that's, that's how Paul says you have power. And uh, I've asked the Lord for power, and he's referred me back to this passage many, many times. He says, preacher, you want power? Then you better start practicing what you preach. And so the fact that you have a pattern to follow, people can look at your life and say, hey, you know what? These guys follow the pattern that they preach. Look at verse 11. Now here's verse 11. He says, as you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. Now here in this verse alone, you got three parts to the ministry. First of all, you have to exhort them. Amen? What is that? Well, you've got to get them to do something. You have to get them excited. Amen? Uh, if all you're ever doing is chewing them out, amen? Well, that's unbalanced parenting, isn't it? If all you're ever doing is laying down the law. You ain't going to let them get away with nothing. That's unbalanced parenting. There's three parts you see here. And so, first of all, you've got to exhort them. You've got to... You got to exhort them, you got to encourage them, you got to teach them, you got to train them to get off their tail and do something for Jesus Christ. You know what the hardest thing to do is get people grown up enough so they realize that they should go out and do something for Jesus Christ. But here's the thing you can't force it. You can force it as a parent. Uh, I think my stepdad says, uh, I can make your life very miserable if you don't do what I say, <laughs> or something along that line. And he could back it up too. But you can't do that as if you're if you're trying to bring someone along in the Lord. You see that? But the first thing you got to do is you got to exhort them. You got to encourage them. You got to stir them up. You got to give them a reason to get off their behind and do something for Jesus Christ. Amen. And not only that, just as important as the exhortation, what's next? Well, you got to comfort them. Right in the passage, you got to exhort them. You've got to get them off their blessed assurance and go do something for the Lord. And then you're going to have to learn how to comfort them. You must comfort them. And you've got to get them not only to do it, but then you comfort them by how? Well, tell them they're special. No, you comfort them by doing preaching about the rapture. Amen? You preach them, you, read, you, you show them scriptures about the rapture. Why? 
so they don't get so wound up about this place. You don't have to stay here forever. You give them comfort about the rapture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, look at it. Verse 13, verse 13 to 18. You give them preaching about the rapture. You remind them of the rapture. Give them verses about the rapture. Verse 13, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. You know how many people are saved in this community? I'm not picking on them now. I'm going to be honest with you. Are ignorant about the rapture of the church. And you can talk about the Lord coming back and they're looking to you like you're an alien. Like you are out of your tree. They have no idea why. No preacher has ever taken this book and taught them. Now it could be that they never went to church too. All right, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. All right, back to 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain, so forth and so on. Look at verse 18. You know what you're supposed to do with that, that passage right there? Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And listen, if you're going to go to a nursing home or you go to the hospital and someone's laying there sick and afflicted and old age and things are really tasking on, you know what you do? You take that book and you comfort them about telling them about heaven. Especially if they're saved. You remind them, hey, this world's not my home. I'm just passing through. Just a few more days to labor. Amen. And about the rapture and tell them that one day if they're saved, they're going to walk on the streets of gold. <laughs> I heard some preachers say, you know, fellas up in his late 70s and he had lung cancer and he smoked for a while and preacher's dumb enough to go in there and say, well, you know, if you wouldn't have smoked, you wouldn't have been in a situation. You're like, well, what a moron. You don't think he knows that? Oh, by the way, by the way, here, have a clue. If you smoke, you will get cancer. I'm just throwing it out there. Whether the Surgeon General said it or not, now haven't you done a bunch of dumb things in your life? And when you get to the end of your life, you need some preacher in there telling you that if you would have done it this way and done it that way and so forth. No, man, just go ahead and comfort them. Tell them one day if they're saved, they're going to be in heaven. One day they're going to walk on streets of gold, right? And one day you're going to have a perfect body. You know, I try to tell some of our older gals that come every once in a while, I just tell the one gal that I, I, I said, you're doing real good coming up them stairs. And she says, yeah, well, not so good. I said, I said just think about it, sis. One day you're going to get that brand new body. I said, you'll run faster than I will. <laughs> and she chuckled. What are you doing? I'm trying to encourage her, trying to comfort her. Why? Because it's difficult for some people to, to walk and get around at that stage in life. And part of the ministry, after you exhort them, you try to get them up and doing something. You've got to comfort them, remind them about heaven. Tell them about the gates of pearl and the walls of jasper and all those kind of things. And then when people are struggling and going through difficult times, you take them over to Philippians 4.19. And you say, hey, don't forget, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Lord ain't forgot about you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. You take them back over to Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Say, by the way, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. You say, what's that? That's the ministry of comfort. You know what you need every once in a while? You need to be comforted. It's not all about whooping everybody and setting everyone straight and being right about everything. Yeah, you've got to have a little bit of grace and you've got to learn to comfort people. And it says there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul says, As you know how we exhorted and comforted, and here's the last part here, charged. Every one of you, I'm thinking about 3% interest, right? No, just kidding. <clears throat> Charged every one of you as a father doth his children. So part of the ministry for a preacher is he's supposed to charge the people. 
Yeah, charge the people. And if you charge something, you go to the store, you charge something, you put it on that little piece of plastic that you try to keep under control, amen, and you walk in that store and you walk back out the, the substance that you paid for in plastic, you still owe something, don't you? You do. And that's what a charge is. And Paul said, uh, Paul said to those people, he said, you've got a responsibility. He tells them, now I'm going to tell you what you should do. So Paul's going to charge them. He's saying, look, this is what you should do. And you know what? Every Christian is charged to witness. If you're here today, I don't care if you're a great orator or not. You are charged to the New Testament commission. You are to witness to others. Every Christian is charged to raise his family up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord Jesus Christ. How about this? Every Christian is charged to live a holy life. Peter says, be ye holy for I am holy. And uh, every Christian is charged to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. And you know what Paul says? In essence, he's saying, look, pay up, pay up. You are charged. (laughs) He says in verse 11, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. And that is the Pauline way of preaching beginning in verse 2 and it goes all the way to verse 13. The Pauline way of preaching was not only to be a nurse in verse number 9, but here in verse 11, it's to be a father, as a father is to children. And we already spoke about being a nurse, and the nurse is always wiping the noses and taking care of people and being kind and watching over them and and going out of your way. Uh, and, And stay with me just for a second. But as you develop more as a Christian... The more you develop as a Christian, you're going to learn to stop worrying about you so much and you'll start being concerned about others. Uh, So one of my concerns as a pastor is making sure that I'm able to recognize those who are really trying. You say, what's so delicate about that? Well, if a Christian is growing and continually maturing, he won't necessarily need as much of a pat on the back. Why? Because if he's doing it for the right reason, he'll want to serve the Lord, and he's not serving a man. But that thing, there's a fine line when you have a bunch of children in a church, uh, spiritually speaking, uh, you've got to have a nurse. He's got to be there to take care of their runny noses and uh, pick them up when they fall, and, hey, it's really going to be okay, and, hey, it's, you know, everything's going to be all right, and, and you've got to be, be that nurse to them children. And then the father part comes along, and you think about it, that nurse uh, nurses them back to health, takes care of them, and those things are important. But in verse 11, you have to do it as a father. And a father eventually, as we said earlier, as they grow older, he tells the children that they have some responsibility. Think about it. For a long time in your family raising babies, it was all about giggles and laughs and first steps and cute this and laughs and They did something mischievous, and you kind of winked at it because they're so darn cute, right? But after a while, as dad, you start laying down the law, don't you? You see the application? And after a while, that father, if he's a good father, will have that child take on some chores and some responsibilities for living under the roof and those kind of things. Look at verse 12. Paul says here that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. So that is to walk worthy of the one that you represent. You know who you represent? Jesus Christ. If you don't represent me, man, we're on we're the same boat here. All right? We represent the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice in verse 12, there's two parts of that thing. And there's one part that's dealing with your salvation. That's your sonship. 
And another part's dealing with your service uh, is the glory, but that comes from your suffering. There's two parts in that verse there. In Romans chapter 8, if you'll turn there, you get things as a Christian, you get things as a Christian at the judgment seat of Christ if you suffer for the cause of Christ. And you're going to be able to get some things. But the requirement is suffering. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 17. All right, Romans 8, 17, uh, Paul says, And if children... Now notice there, verse 17, he, says, he starts off, If children, there's your sonship right there. Right? But as many as received him, then gave he power to become the sons of God. And you know how he became a son of God, right? Through adoption. He adopted you, Galatians chapter 4, verse 5. You became a son of God through adoption. All right? All right? He says in Romans 8, 17, And if children, there's your sonship, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus. It's conditional. Look at it. If so be that we suffer with him. Think about it. Jesus Christ, he gets the crown of glory because he suffered for it. And we also get to be in verse 17, that we may be also glorified together. You see that? 817, that we may be also glorified together. But that, that, that being glorified together, that comes through suffering. All right, now if we suffer, you know, we'll also reign with Jesus Christ. Look at 2 Timothy verse 2. And 2 Timothy gives you the same thing. And that is this, your sonship is sure. That's a tongue twister and a half, isn't it? Say that ten times fast. The moment you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you became his son. And your sonship is sure. But there are some things there that you get because of your willingness to suffer. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. The Bible says, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. So that's Paul. Paul preaching the gospel. And if you're going to preach the gospel the way that Paul preached it, look what happens in verse 9. If you're going to preach the gospel the way Paul did, you're going to run into what? Trouble. You see it? You're going to have trouble. According to my gospel, verse 8, verse 9, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer. You're going to preach the way God wants you to preach, you're going to get in trouble over it. All right? He says, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Look at verse 11. Verse 11. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. Verse 12. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. So the question is, what is he denying us? He's denying us the right to rule and reign with him. He's not denying us the sonship. You say, well, how do you know? Look at verse 13. Verse 13, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. So when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, true or false, you become part of his body, correct? He cannot deny himself. You're in Christ. He can't deny himself. So he's not denying you sonship. He's denying you the opportunity to rule and reign with him because you refuse to suffer for Jesus Christ. And just consider this. We've touched on this before, but that's how you get the glory. It's your service through suffering. And some of the things that you have to deal with on a daily basis, it's not always because of stupidity. It's because we've been appointed unto affliction, right? We've been appointed unto trouble. We've been appointed unto persecution. And just stop and think this week, if you're going through whatever it is, that God's given you an opportunity to suffer for Jesus Christ. And if you handle it right, you get the opportunity to rule and reign with him during the millennial reign. But you have to be willing to suffer. 
And that's what Paul's telling you in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12. He says that ye would walk worthy of God. And that just means you're to walk worthy of the one that you represent. And you and I ought to walk worthy of God. And there's two parts here in verse 12. He says that you would walk worthy of God who hath called you into his kingdom and glory. So the two parts are his kingdom, number one, and glory, number two. That kingdom is obtained through your sonship, where the glory is what comes through suffering. All right, look at verse 13. All right, the Bible says in verse 13, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Now, this is a great, great verse. And uh, at this point, uh, you need to know that Paul is using copies of the Old Testament and things that he had. And those copies, you say, what were they? They were the preserved words of God. And let me tell you what, that's what your King James Bible is. I'm going to say this, and you're going to think I'm a heretic. This is not a good translation. This is the preserved Word of God. You need to get a hold of that. And Paul is using copies of the Old Testament, and they were the preserved words of God. And the King James Bible is not a good translation. Rather, it is, in fact, the preserved Word of God. And so the thing you have to realize in order for the gospel to work in this verse, there's a couple of things that has to take place. First of all, the witness, the one witnessing, must live it. And then you must believe it. Uh, but then you almost also must realize that Paul, he preached the word of God. And when he preached, Paul didn't tell animal stories, amen? He didn't tell stories about whales, he didn't tell stories about deer and make all these character studies about things and wolves and all this Disney garbage, nor did he get up and tell you how the monkey lives in the forest and how the bugs live under the rug and all that stuff and so forth and so on. But what Paul gave the people was Bible preaching. And I'm going to tell you here tonight, that is what's missing in the pulpits of today. And I'm not going around straightening pictures. I'm not telling you, look, we're doing it right and no one else is doing it right. But let me tell you what, you go ahead and take the time you take the effort and you visit some Baptist churches and see what they're preaching. Some of that stuff will make you puke. And here at Bible Believers Baptist Church, I do the best that I can to preach expositorily. You say, why do you do that? So as I preach through a passage, you can also learn the Bible. That's expository preaching. And that's the way Paul preached. That's Bible preaching. And the way for the Word of God here in verse 13 to have an effect on the Thessalonians... It was not only that it was preached from the Word of God, but also that these people received it because Paul lived it. And you got to remember, that's what makes the Word of God real to people. You're going to live that book, they're going to listen to you. Stop and think of why you're saved today. Someone had the power of God on them. Don't you wish you could have the power of God on you and you witness to people? Every time you dealt with a sinner about this soul he would automatically fall into conviction and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior? Don't you have a list of people you'd like to see saved? I do. And so well, I don't. Well, go home and write one, man. <laughs> It'll change your life forever. Don't you wish you, you got three or four names on that list you'd really like to see saved, and if you went over tonight and dealt with them, they'd fall into conviction, you'd have the power of God on you and they get saved? That'd be a blessing. How about not only that, now people getting saved, people getting right with God, you had the power of God in your life, and you go over and talk to that person in all humility and sincerity, and they get right, and you guys can get along. 
Amen. Whatever, husband, wife, or situation, or family and friends, or in-laws and outlaws and all. Don't you wish you had the power of God on you, man? Those people received it because Paul lived it, and that's what makes the Word of God real to people. You talk to many people today, they'll say uh, this, well, you know, I'm a Bible believer. And if you're a Bible believer, it means that you have it not only in your, uh, in your head, but you got it in your heart. There's a lot of people got a lot of that book in their head, but they ain't got it in their heart. And there's only about, what, 18 inches from here to here? But for a lot of people, that's a long direction. And it means you're not just a hearer, but you're a doer of it. It's not just knowing it. It's being able to do it. One, one uh, missionary, he, I heard about 20-some years ago, he says, uh, he, how did he say it? He says, he said, I'm not interested in Bible believers. He says, I'm interested in Bible behaviors. I thought that was one of the most interesting things I'd ever heard. You know, everyone thinks they're a Bible believer. I'm a Bible believer. I believe the Bible. I believe the Bible. You know, until you get to that part, you know, where they disagree with you. And then they don't believe it. They believe Dr. You know, smell fungus. Right? Or they believe Dr. You know, Greekitis. Well, you know, in the original, whatever, you know, and all that stuff. And, and all of a sudden they went from a, a Bible believer, they went to a scholar. And uh, whether you know everything there is to know from Genesis to Revelation, you know, including the maps, including the cornices, if you don't live it, the Word of God has zero power. You see a theme developing through here? You've got to have the power of God in your life for God to work. And uh, now look at the last part of that verse. It says, The Word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe. I want you to notice it only works if, if you believe it. If you don't believe it, it won't work. It doesn't make any difference about all these people going around and saying, you know, we're teaching biblical principles and we're teaching the fundamentals and we're teaching the message of this and that. The Bible says you have to believe it in order for it to have an effect in your life. And if you're not careful, you, uh, you can make the Word of God of none effect. Amen? And you make the Word of God effective by you believing it. That word effectual means working the way it should. And I don't know about you, but I want that Word of God to work in my life the way it was designed to work. And I have to believe it. Not just say I believe it, but let the Lord know I believe it. Even if that means i got to change. And I'm going to tell you what, at 39 years old, when the Lord called me to the pastor here, you know what the, one of the first things the Lord told me? He says, you got to change some things. <laughs> I said, well... You know, they say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And it's like the Holy Spirit said, yeah, but we can take, you know, mud out in the back and shoot him. No, Lord, I'll change. Yeah. At 39, he said, the Lord said, you're going to have to change some things. I'm like, okay. Well, what is it? I'm glad he didn't give me all the changes at once. I'd have been, I'd have been overwhelmed. And he started giving me little things. No, not deep, not deep doctrinal stuff, uh, but just practical stuff. Look, you need to balance out here. And look, you don't need to get so jacked out of the frame here. This is a more of a moderate thing. And this thing, your conviction's off on this thing here. You need to fall more in love with me than you do with what people think of you. And they begin one by one showing me the things I needed to change. And if you're going you're gonna to do something for the Lord, you're going to have to be willing to change. You know, get, you, know, you know what kills trees, don't you? They get too seasoned. And then the storm comes through and they snap. But, you know, that little green sapling just right in the wind, you know. It just blows all over the place, and it's done. It's like, ooh, lost a few leaves. We're good. Amen. Remember going through stuff as a, you know, 20-year-old? Man, you just, you just had the world by the tail, you know. And you don't realize that if it had happened to a 7-year-old, it killed him. 
right? But you're 20 and you're full of vim and vigor and all that stuff, you know? Okay, 80 or 90, whatever. But I'm just saying, you have to realize uh, if you believe that book, the Lord's going to ask you to change. I'm giving you a little bit of humor. It helps the medicine go down. If I stop changing as your preacher, this pulpit's done. And the Lord still wants me to change. And by the way, he wants you to change too. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit's going to have to tell you that. But you can, uh, uh, something you've got to realize, that the Word of God can be made ineffective or of no effect. Look at Mark chapter 7 real quick. I'll give you a couple things and we'll call it a night. Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, look at verse 9. For a number of years, uh, uh, in my 20s, I told the Lord, I believe your book, and I'm thankful for your book. And, and it's almost like the Holy Spirit had to have a couple years conversation with me on certain things. And he says, you believe my book, Con? I said, I sure do, Lord. I sure love it, and I appreciate it. Love it page to page, cover to cover, including the cover, including the maps and concordance and italics and all that stuff. He says, well, that's interesting. I said, why is it interesting? He says, because you ain't doing nothing with it. And I said, no, I really believe you're... And finally, it got to the point where I told the Lord, I said, I believe that book has the answer to everything. And it's almost like when I had that reckoning and, uh, and got serious with him, the Lord began to show me things in that book that I'd never seen before. And people started coming and having questions. I wouldn't have a clue. I don't know, I don't know what the answer to that is. And all of a sudden, uh, uh, someone started coming and talk to me. And, uh, and I said, well, I, the Bible says this. Why? Believe it. The Bible says it here. Explain it. Oh, I can't explain it. I just believe it. <laughs> well, how in the world could the, you know, Jesus be born of a virgin? <laughs> you got me beat. I have no idea, but I believe that's what the Bible says. You know. And next thing you know, you got some power over that thing. Mark chapter 7, verse 9, the Bible says, And he said unto them, Full well, ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. Well, you know, that's just the way we've always done it. You know? It's just, just the way we've always done it, and that's just the way Grandma did it, and that's just the way Mamma did it, and just the way Papa did it. Well, what if Papa did it wrong? And then you end up making the Word of God a none effect through your own stinking tradition. Look at Mark chapter 7, verse 13. Verse 13, make the Word of God, making the Word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such like things do ye. So, real simple, you can make the Word of God a none effect by keeping your own traditions that go with it. And there's a type of that thing. Go back to Mark chapter 4. We're just about done. Mark chapter 4. Look at verse uh, number 18. Mark 4, 18. You got the parable of the sower here. And uh, verse 18, he says, uh, Lord says, And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word. Okay. So they heard it, right? They heard the word. Verse 19. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. So it was fruitful at one point in time when they heard it and believed it, right? Sure was. And now they don't believe it because of all these other things coming in. Uh, most people you find out believe the Bible was the word of God when they got saved. You can find that. I believe the Bible is the word of God. But what happens is over the period of time, they get educated out of their Bible. People get educated out of the Bible every day. And they get talked out of it by education. And uh, Sam Jones says the result many times of education often leads to damnation. 
Amen. And that's not the way the Lord teaches the Bible. Have you ever wondered, we'll close on this thought here. I want you to think about this for the next few days. You ever wonder why that in the Bible, that nobody in the Bible talks like these modern day preachers and these modern day scholars do? You ever, know, you ever just think about that? Uh, nobody in the Bible talks like these modern day TBN preachers, these modern day uh, super smart doctor this and doctor doodle that and all these little uh, degrees that go behind their name. Uh, nowhere Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, Paul, Elisha, Elijah, Isaac, none of those people ever around saying a better translation would be. Uh, you never read about any of them in there going, you know, a better rendering of this passage would go like this. Or this would be made much clearer if you would consult this language here. Uh, nowhere in the Bible does anybody ever speak like that. And yet we have preachers and Bible teachers today that speak that way. And nobody in the Bible speaks like that. And I'm dogmatic about this because I believe 100% that the King James Bible is the Word of God. And I don't just say that to get amens out of people either. I believe, I don't believe it's a better translation. I believe it is the preserved Word of God. And we'll stop right there in verse 13, pick it up on 14 in the middle of the week. Imagine reading the Bible and the Bible author is going, well, you know, I read this commentary over here and this commentary here is a Bible don't talk like that. Bunch of foolishness. Why don't you stand?